0: Good morning, church family. It's, it's always good to be here and uh, to come together. That song really the perfect song for a preacher. You know, speak, O Lord, as we're praying and singing that God will actually speak to us. This is what this is what we're here to uh, do, to hear from God right now. But a little update before we get into the sermon. Um, Mark chapter 6, 31 to 32 says that, Jesus took his disciples and went away to a secluded place so they could be by themselves. So we have a a pastor's visioning trip this week. So if you could pray for our pastors, we have a lot to pray about, a lot to think about as we would... uh, uh, come together to how to best care for our church. We have been adjusting our staff and different roles and different functions. And so please pray for us. It's going to be a good time. We're not going to go very far. We'll just be down the freeway some, but uh, will be a, pray that it will be a good time for us to come together and um, be unified as we care for the church. We'll be at a Mark chapter 6, though. We're still same portion, Mark chapter 6, verse 6. I'm going to start off at verse 6 and go on through verse 13. But just a little bit of context as you're turning there, Mark chapter 6. It's a new era. It's a new era. And the disciples are being launched to go to do the work of ministry. And for this whole time, the disciples have been sitting, learning, watching Jesus preach, Jesus do miracles, Jesus handle difficulties, Jesus care and comfort those who are hurting. And now the disciples are allowed and being sent out to do the work of ministry. This is a new era. So the Lord is multiplying his efforts from 1 now to 12. And so this is where we're at. So Mark chapter 6 uh Verse 6, I'm going to start off at verse 6 and read to verse 13. So please rise if you're able to. I hope you have your Bibles so you can follow along, not just in the reading but also in during the preaching. Mark chapter 6, verse 6, second half of verse 6. And he was going around the villages teaching. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except the mere staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put, two, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. Verse 12, They went out and preached that men should repent, and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. Thank you for how you loved on the 12 disciples so well and how you encouraged them. I pray, Lord, that your Spirit will allow me to preach with power, with compassion, Father, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would allow our hearts to see your son more clearly. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. The 12 have been invested into for maybe perhaps a year and a half, two years. And now they're being sent out. And as you could imagine, imagine if you're a missionary who's on the verge of being sent out. Okay, you've been planning and preparing and training, and all of a sudden, here's that day, and reality perhaps might be setting in for these disciples. I mean, they might start thinking, this is the first time we get to go out without without the Master. This is the first time He allows us to preach and teach. This is the first time we're going to heal people and cast out demons. This is clearly something new for us. We, have, we don't have any experience in this. We don't know what to expect. And then the Lord, similar to what he told Jeremiah, says, gird up your loins, arise and speak what, you, what I tell you to speak. And in other words, the Lord is basically telling the disciples, be strong and courageous. This is why I sent you out here. And, and, and in Jeremiah chapter one, brother Chris read verse seventeen. He talks about, "Do not be dismayed, do not be fearful." Does that sound familiar? That's a theme throughout Joshua: "Do not be fearful, to be dismayed." Uh, King David tells Solomon, "Do not be fearful, to be dismayed." Uh, Paul tells Timothy, "Do not be timid, do not be fearful." I mean, this is a theme throughout the scriptures, and this is the issue here: fear is the enemy. If you want to be an effective evangelist, if you want to be an effective disciple out in your mission field, in your particular mission field, I get it. None of us are these 12. I'm not one of these 12. And we may not be a pastor or sent-out missionary, but we are on mission. If you want to be effective for Christ, fear must not consume our thoughts. And so the Lord huddles up the 12 in this portion of Scripture. He summons the 12, and if you could imagine, it's Jesus in the 12, and they're talking, and and this is the Lord's final instructions before sending them out on their first unique journey. And you may ask, what happens in a huddle? Well, just in football, the huddle, usually you have the, the coach or the team captains giving instruction that, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what you could expect. And some encouragement. It's going to be okay. You're not out there alone. We're here together. All right? This is the sort of the feel, I believe, that the disciples are getting here in this Mark chapter 6 portion, this short little portion. And as I look out into this church family who I love dearly, and, and Christ has really been... Just deepening my affection for the church here. I mean, it's just encouraging to see everybody week after week. I know many of us could be a little bit timid. I mean, I understand that feeling. I understand that feeling. You may think I just—it's not, nothing bothers me about talking about Christ, but I, I am timid too. And as I look at it, many of us may be a little bit timid about living for Christ, even talking to people about Christ. And in. And, Many surveys say that most Christians have never actually had the opportunity to lead anyone else to Christ. That's what surveys say. I, I, not, I can't verify that. And perhaps many have not even shared the gospel with another person. And this, So this, hopefully, my hope is as we go through this portion, as Jesus huddles up the 12, he's kind of huddling up with us as well. And my hope is that... We will all be strengthened by what God has to say, what Christ has to say to the twelve disciples. Okay, so in other words, Jesus is going to huddle us up. He's going to give us the antidote for fear right now. Okay, and I'm going to just give you the uh, the outline ahead of time, just so you can follow along a little bit easier. And here are the here are the points, but I'll go over the points again. The Lord huddles huddles us up, and he. He sends us out, but we were sent out with heaven's, number one, playbook. All right. We're sent out with heaven's power. Number three, we're sent out with heaven's provisions, and we're sent out with heaven's perspective. All right. So this is where we're going to get our eyes off off of ourselves and get our eyes heavenward here. Okay. So point number one, let's get right to it. We're strong and courageous knowing that we are sent out with heaven's playbook. Verse 7. Let's look at verse 7 here with me. And he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs. Jesus summons the 12. He huddles up with the 12. And keep in mind that the 12 were handpicked. These are not random people that huddles up with with Jesus. The 12 were handpicked. First, they're handpicked to be saved men. God calls them into salvation. And secondly, he gives them a unique role. He calls them to serve as an apostle. I mean, apostles don't exist anymore. These men had a unique role of it, continue on the work that Jesus starts uh, during his earthly ministry. The twelve the apostles, some of them were even used to write the Bible. And so, how does this work? And I just want to just... Piggyback on what Brother Chris read out of 1 Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 in Jeremiah's commission. Jeremiah 1, 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, before you were even born, Jeremiah, I knew you. I knew exactly who you were. And before you were born, I consecrated or set you apart. Before you were even born, I had a purpose for you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. You see, church... Before the 12 were even conceived, (laughs) before eternity passed, God had a plan for these 12. And as you sit there right now, you may be thinking, that's wonderful that God had a plan for Jeremiah, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and the rest. But also, it's encouraging to know that God has had a plan for you and me from eternity past as well. This is not just the 12, and I get it, we don't have a unique calling such as being a prophet or an apostle, but... God has had a plan for you and me. If you are in Christ, God has predestined you, has chosen you before eternity past to be a Christian first and foremost. And all Christians have a role. And God has given you and assigned you a role while we live on this earth. I mean, that's such an incredible truth for us to know this. And with the apostles... You may be thinking, I'm not an apostle. Well, they weren't apostles before. They were apostles either. Jesus did not go with the first-round draft picks when he picked the 12 disciples, meaning he didn't get the cream of the crop. He picked 12 ordinary men, men that were fishermen, men that were tax collectors, hated tax collectors, men who were political zealous, zealots, they're extremists. He picked 12 ordinary twelve men who weren't theologically trained, Twelve men who didn't have any particular, uh, influence. Twelve men who are imperfect in their character. Sounds like you and me, doesn't it? I mean, just twelve normal people. And this is who he summons into the, into this huddle. And I believe that we could, we're, we're summoned in as well through this word in, 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 in a, in a unique way as well. But as he summons them, he sends them out, the Bible says. He calls them in and began to send them out in pairs. And what is the play that Jesus our, our master calls in the huddle? What, what does he tell him to do? All right. Well, if we just look at how the Lord did ministry in Mark chapter one verse fifteen, says he went out preaching repentance and that people will believe in the gospel. <laughs> That's the one play that Jesus charges us to play uh, to execute the gospel. All right, this is the one play that we run over and over and over and over again. The, the gospel is the one message that we need to know and the, the one message that we need to keep telling and telling and telling until the Lord takes us home or the Lord returns. I mean, so if we want to be masters of executing this play, we ought to know what the gospel is. Right now, if, if I were to ask you, what is the gospel message? What comes to mind? What would you tell me right now? If we're on a bus ride or a plane flight, I said, you're a Christian, that's great. I heard there's something called the gospel. Tell me that gospel, what would you say? I'm just giving you a little time to think a little bit. I know this is a clearly an important aspect of Christianity. One, so that you, A, that you know what you're saved into. And two, how you could be a faithful disciple of Christ. I like how uh, Pastor Jeremy has trained some of us and taught some of us on staff. The gospel message starts with God. Who is God? God is the creator. God is the holy one. And he is the one who will judge all men someday. Starts with God, then goes to man. Who's man? Man is a created being. We are made in God's image, yet we've fallen, fall short of the glory of God. We've sinned. And sinners will be judged by God in eternal hell someday. Unforgiven sinners will be judged someday. But, number three, Christ, God, man, Christ, God himself took on human flesh, lived the perfect life, went to the cross, reconciles us to God by paying for the payment of sin on the cross, and he rose again. And then fourthly, response. God, man, Christ, and response. Do you repent? Do you repent of your sins and turn to Christ as your Lord and Savior? the gospel. And if you do genuinely do this, you will be saved and you are reconciled with God forever. God, man, Christ response. I think that's something that we could remember. That's a kind of a format that helps us to kind of be ordered in, in, in how we would describe the gospel. So he sends them out with one play, the gospel. Run the gospel. Keep running it. Keep running it. Don't change the gospel. Don't get too cute. Just share the gospel. Tell people the gospel. That's what Jesus is saying. But not only that, he sends them out with a specific assignment. And this is what's super encouraging for all of us as we start off with Jeremiah. There's nothing random with the Lord's plans. There's absolutely nothing random with his plans. Everything is sovereignly designed by him. And so I'm, just as a word of encouragement, as I look out to the congregation right now, perhaps you're a guest. We welcome you. We're glad that you're here. But we've all been given specific ministry assignments. I see nurses. I see stay-at-home moms. I see engineers. I see retirees. I see students. I see grandparents, I see parents. I mean, there's all kinds of different roles that God has given us. I mean, I could keep going as I look out into the congregation. But isn't that encouraging that wherever you are at, this is exactly where God wants you. Perhaps you're not happy where where you're at. Maybe, that could be true. We've all been in difficult places. But but for now, this is exactly where you're supposed to be. Parents, parents. As, as you are thinking through, what is my child, my adult child, going to do for the rest of his or her life? Be encouraged. God knows what He's supposed to do. God has chosen what He's supposed to do. He just doesn't know it yet what He's going to do. Right? Be encouraged. Perhaps you're in college, or perhaps you're like a high schooler going on to college. I, people have been pounding you. What do you want to do? What do you want to say? I don't know. You're thinking. Well, God knows. Be encouraged. Seek his kingdom, seek after Christ, and all these things will be added to you. Just keep being faithful to Christ. He'll make it clear to you someday. Some of us have had career changes later on in life. We understand that things change. But God knows exactly what's going to happen. And and I find that uh, as a particular encouragement for all of us, wherever you're at, that's exactly where you're supposed to be. So in the meantime, even if you're not happy where, where you're at, be faithful. Be faithful in running and executing the play. And what are you supposed to do while you're there? You're supposed to advance the gospel message. That's the play that we're called to run. Tell more people about Christ. Live out your lives where people can see the gospel in you. This is what you're called to do. And so, I think, just another word about it. I was with a men's uh, breakfast yesterday and speaking to a, a group of men from a different church. And... Uh, you know, just I brought up four words. I brought up. It came to my mind that um, you know a lot of people have left California. I, I'm not sure how many of us here have thought about leaving to Idaho or, or uh, Texas or or, or uh, where's the other but Florida or Tennessee, right? I mean, people have left. because, man, man, California's so crazy. Well, is that an accident? No. California, our beloved state, is the way it is because God has ordained it to be. This is not a random thing. It's not not a particular governor or anyone else that's responsible for, for this. I just think to myself, what I exhorted the men was, what a special time to be in California, if being a Christian, for such a time as this. And so... I guess as the as the, as the disciples were sent out all throughout Galilee, specific towns, specific places, they had special circumstances they had to deal with, and it was all ordained by Christ. And let's not be surprised if if our situation is difficult. And as we go through ministry, it gets harder. As Pastor Ron, I was sat on his missions class today, and he talked about how they're suffering in missions. I mean, there's no wonder, of course, the world and enemy would be in opposition to you if you're out there trying to advance the gospel, of course, whether on a vocational level or even just on a day-to-day level, how you live your life. Expect things to be difficult. The disciples knew this, that they were sent out on on a difficult journey here. Okay, let's move on here. We talked about heaven's playbook. Now we're strong and courageous knowing that we are sent out with heaven's power. Not just God's plan and playbook, but God's power as well. So as you can see right here, verse 7, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Verse 13 says that they are healing sick people. Christ gave the disciples authority over demons, gave them authority over spirits, uh, unclean spirits, uh, gave them authority over sickness. This word authority is exousia which could be also translated power. And so the right to do something is the authority, the ability to do something talks about its power. Christ gave him the power over these things. And why did the 12 receive this power? As you think about it, why did Jesus Christ give these apostles the power over demons and illness? Why did he do this? Think through this now. Why did he do this? In this era, there was no Bible, New Testament to speak of. There's Old Testament written already. During this era, there's all kinds of people walking the earth uh, claiming to know the truth. There are all kinds of people claiming to be the Messiah. How else would people differentiate if this person is speaking to me the truth? In other words, they receive power and authority from heaven so that people can affirm that they're heaven's agents. This is exactly right to verify or authenticate their message. John 3, 2 says, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night and goes, Rabbi, we know you're from God because no one else could do these signs. I mean, Nicodemus understood this. In 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul defends his apostleship by saying, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. So Christ equips the disciples with power over demons and illness to authenticate that they are from heaven, they're speaking heaven's message. today, We don't have this ability. I don't have this ability. God still does miracles. Certainly we should pray for healing. We should pray for people. God can and still does miracles. But I don't have the gift of healing. But what I have is even more obvious is the Bible. Whenever a person teaches you the Bible and is rightly taught, you know you just heard from God. The Bible is a much more sure way of understanding what you're hearing is from God or not, from heaven or not. Romans one sixteen says the Gospel for I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is a power of God. it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, right so the gospel message is the power of God to save people. We no longer need those miracles we need the power of God which rests in his word and but also as I think about how the Lord gave the disciples the ability to cast out demons, I think, and heal the sick. I think this speaks of his character. And what do I mean by that? I mean, the Lord could have used maybe a writing in the sky or maybe used a meteor from, from outer space. He could have done some kind of weather uh, phenomenon. He could have used any of those things, yet he used 12 ordinary men, yet he uses you and me to spread the gospel message. And look at what he gives to these apostles to demonstrate that they're from him. He gives them power to relieve immense suffering. You see what the Lord is doing here? This God cares about suffering. He gives the disciples the ability to show compassion, to show love to people. We may not be able to cast out a demon. We may not be able to help heal somebody's cancer. But we have the ability to show compassion to others. We have the ability to show kindness to others. We have the ability to show our love by praying for others. We have the ability uh, to send a timely note or timely text to to somebody. We have the ability just just to give somebody a hug. Compassion. At your office space. Do you have people who are a little bit difficult, who are a little bit uh, hard in the heart? Of course you do. Of course you do. We all do. Well, what do you think is going to break up that? So you think just preaching the gospel will do it? Maybe. Perhaps. Maybe you could just jam that seed in that hard soul. Maybe. But oftentimes what softens the soil is showing kindness to somebody. Just showing Kindness. The simple act of love and kindness, where the world loves the, the, the concept of love, don't we? We love it, just love. Hey, love all, all, one love, love all, all these things. But that ain't it. You need to show compassion, and the really, why you're showing compassion, do you have an ulterior motive? Of course we do. We want to plant the gospel message, because that is the greatest way to show the greatest love. Michael Barrow, one of my uh, uh, coaches that I coached with up in Seattle, he used to say to us, He's a great godly man, and I love him. He said, "They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care." right It's not so true. I mean, parents, think about it. This is the reason why you go on those family vacations, right to build relationship with your children. This is why you have dinners. This is why, uh, dads, you might take out your daughter one-on-one or take out your boys uh, one-on-one just to spend some extra time with them. It's more than just to create some kind of a memory. That's, That's part of it. But really, it's to build that bridge, soften the soil so that your words have more impact. That's just how this works. I mean, think about it. Let's turn back time and how you came to Christ. Think through now. How did you, as your senior, if you're a Christian, come to Jesus Christ? Think about it now. How did you come to Christ? Was it a stranger that led you to Christ? Maybe it was an evangelist, you know. Maybe you went to some kind of a crusade. And perhaps it could happen that way. But I bet you most of us would say it's someone that we knew a parent, mom, dad, classmate, sibling, so a coworker, a teammate, someone that you knew led you to Christ. You had a relationship with them, you trusted what they had to say. And as I think about it for the youth, you're 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 kind of in an interesting phase of your life, you're and if you're in Christ and you're a high schooler or even a junior high schooler, think about the needs that are there in the school. Maybe you could, perhaps you could befriend someone who needs a friend. Perhaps someone who's, maybe even our youth group seems a little bit out of it, or someone's brand new. Maybe you're that one to kind of reach out and show some compassion and to say, hey, join us. Maybe God will use you that way. Perhaps you're, you work at the hospital, how do you share Christ in that environment? How, how have you shared Christ with that environment? Perhaps this might help. Yeah, I have some thoughts on that is, you know, I've shared with people. People have different needs. If we're on the mission field, we'll be handing out a bowl of rice, but it did not stop there. In football, people have football needs. Football coaches wanted to get better. Players wanted to get better. This is what we did. And as a coach, I just wanted to meet their needs. Yet, it didn't stop there. If you're working at the hospital, are you serving your people well? Are you serving your patients well? Are you serving your doctors well? Are you serving the administrator well? Are you building that relationship? Are you showing that compassion so that you're able to preach Christ Think through this in your own life now. Whatever your environment calls for, people have different needs, different pressing issues that you could feed into and and, and care into so that, it doesn't end there, so that you could preach Christ. Paul says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. He did everything for the ability and opportunity to promote the gospel and to minister the gospel. Let's move on to the third point here. We learned about heaven's playbook. We go. we were sent out with heaven's playbook, heaven's plan. We we're sent out with heaven's power. Now we can be strong and courageous knowing that we're sent out with heaven's provisions. Provisions. This is critical that we understand. It's verse 8 9. Let me read this for us. And he instructed them, the 12, that they should take nothing for their journey except the mere staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt. But to wear sandals, and he added, do not put on two tunics. Why did the Lord call them to go bare minimum on, on what to take on the road? Why? I, I, I think I have some thoughts here. Number one, and it is minimize distractions. I mean, the more stuff that you have, I mean, we understand this, right? P- young parents, you know, you got young children, you got a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things you got to worry about, a lot of things you got to pack. I mean, the more stuff that you have, the more distracted you ha- you are. I remember Pastor Terry preaching a few weeks ago. He said, more money, more problems, right? I mean, that's kind of how it works. The more stuff that you have, the more properties, more stocks that you have to uh, worry about, more relationships you have to manage, more uh things, you got a car, you got two or three cars, the more cars you have to take care of, the more things you're worried about. And the more you're focused on these things, the more dis- distracted you are from the mission. So, Lord, I believe it's kind of the principle here is, is minimize the things that you don't need to take. I will provide for you. Heaven will provide for you. Go out there and be supremely focused on the mission. A distracted soldier is an ineffective soldier. Right, we understand this. We cannot be distracted. Number two, I think the reason why the Lord asks for bare minimum in this case is to maximize trust in the Lord. Minimize distractions, maximize trust in the Lord. I mean, keep in mind, this is the first mission for the 12. This is not the only mission. This is not, this is game one. Okay, this is the first game that they get to go out and and the 12 are still being trained. I remember my mind was drawn to perhaps lessons that the Lord may have taught them over the years. Right, I think of Matthew six, where he says, the, "The birds don't have to worry about what to eat." He says to the to the people, the, "The the fields are clothed with lilies; they're clothed more amazingly than Solomon was." Does not your father care about you more than these? Right? I mean, I think about these sermons that these disciples may have sat under. And I, perhaps the Lord is pressing down on those truths. How much do you believe these things? And in Matthew 6, 33, the Lord would say, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So right there, what is the Lord doing there? Is the Lord saying, don't plan? Is the Lord saying, do not have any uh, thought on how to prepare I don't think so. I just think specifically for this mission, he was saying, hey, hey, you've been taught, you got everything you need, go. Don't say I have to take care of my fishing business first. Don't say I have to take care of my schooling first. Just go. And and, and how, how would he provide? Well, verse 10 says this, and he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. If you find a house that's worthy, Lydia in uh, Acts 16 says, if you found my house to be faithful, if you find faithful people who want to partner with you, stay with them. I'll provide you through the brotherhood and sisterhood. And look what it, look what is interesting. Let's, let's just think very practically about what happened with the disciples. They have the ability to cast out demons. They have the ability to heal sick people. And then in Matthew 10, he says this, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. What is the Lord saying there out of Matthew 10? In other words, Jesus is saying, Don't charge people for these miracles. I mean, think how significant this is. We've got all kinds of false teachers out there that charge people for healings when they can't even heal. They prey on those who are suffering. Or the Lord was telling the disciples, don't even get it mixed up with these people while you're doing these things. Don't even have a seed be planted in their minds that you're only doing this for the money or for the funding. So as we minister Christ, we need to be so focused on the mission that we're not worried about these things about how to earn money how to earn income in this way just go out there now were the 12 taken care of how did their mission end up well ver- matthew 22 gives us a lot of insight here I'm going to turn to matthew 22 this is a very interesting portion that gives sheds light on this whole uh th- these instructions that Christ gives us matthew 20 uh, luke 22 35 says this and he said to them when I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals you did not lack anything did you question mark he's just checking in with the disciples were you okay and what does what did they say they said no nothing we were fine so the Lord provided for them but look what it says in verse 36. Luke 22:36 and he said to them but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along likewise also a bag and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one what is going on there this is a whole different mission that the lord is sending him on different instructions so you may be thinking okay pastor rocky are you saying i am called to take a vow of poverty no, this is not what the Lord is saying. Just in that specific mission, that first one, the Lord was raising up their level of faith in them. So, hey, let's go bare minimum. In this other mission that he sent them on, and goes, by the way, take money with you this time. By the way, if you don't have a sword, if you don't have a gun, sell your stuff and get a handgun or a sword so you can protect yourself because it's going to be dangerous. Every mission is unique. But the big principle that we're taught, drawing on is this. Trust God. Don't trust in your own planning. Don't trust in your own resources. Don't trust in your connections. Trust God. Of course plan. Of course be wise. Of course do what you need to do. But that's not where your uh, your hope and trust is in. Trust God. Trust that heaven will provide. I remember for myself, back in 2016, when we were praying, discerning, you know, as a family, should we from coaching into uh, preaching ministry at Evergreen, it, it, we talked to a lot of people, a lot of Christians, and we, we needed some good advice. And one of the things that came back to me was, I think you'd be irresponsible if you were to go do, do this. I mean, what do you mean? Well, don't you have four kids? Yeah, I, I do. And how are is this responsible parenting? How, how are you going to go from that situation where you're where things are different than going to pastoral ministry. Why would you do that? And I think they meant, well, I really did, because they care about us, they care about our family, and things such as, how are you going to pay for college? (laughs) Right? (laughs) And I remember thinking to myself, and I think I said it too, saying, well, if I could trust Christ for heaven, I think I could trust him for college if the kids are supposed to go to college. I mean, but this is the type of mentality perhaps the Lord is combating, where you may be sitting there right now and saying, you know what, when I get established, maybe you're a young person, once I get my career established, then I'll get more involved with the church. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Perhaps you're thinking, well, once I get retired, then I I could give more to the church. You know, maybe that's what you're thinking. And this is not what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying, go. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Spend your days now. Be effective now. This doesn't mean you don't care about your family. Of course, our home ministry is our first ministry. But do we trust God for our homes? Or do we take it upon ourselves to make sure our homes are okay? Okay. See, when we hold too tightly onto some things, we're not able to move the way that God wants us to move. This is how this works. You're too burdened by things. Trust God. Trust God. He'll provide. If you're called, if he sends you out, he will provide for you. He will provide for you. Let's go to the final point here. We're sent out with heaven's playbook, heaven's power, Heaven's provisions. Now we're sent out with heaven's perspective. Perspective. Let's go to verse eleven for a final point here. In any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. I mean, get your sandals and start clapping away to let them know what. Well, this was a, the Jews would clearly understood what this meant. This was a, a sign of a judgment. A Jew who goes to a non-Jewish area, a pagan area, and when he returns back to the Holy Land, would have clapped on his sandals to shake the dust off because he didn't want to contaminate or pollute the Holy Land. So in other words... Jesus is telling the 12 like treat them as non-believers they're rejecting me they're rejecting God and there's a whole seriousness to this that I like us to take us uh, to look briefly at Luke 10 Luke 10 verse 10 I'm just going to read uh, to verse 16 here Luke chapter 10 this is this is he sends out 70 and and, and he gives them instructions uh, 70 uh, uh, 70 other disciples on this mission. So you can see there's different missions. Can you see that, church? There's different missions. So when we read these portions, we need to draw the principles out, not necessarily think that everything there is prescriptive of how we're supposed to do ministry right now. Okay? Pull out the principles, draw out the principles and apply it to what we our context today uh Luke 10:10 10, 10 says but whoever whatever city you enter and they do not receive you go out into the streets and say even the dust of your city which clings to our feet will we wipe off in protest against you yet be sure of this that the kingdom of God has come near kingdom God's kingdom is here verse 12 this is the seriousness of this perspective, heaven's perspective. This is how serious it is when somebody rejects Jesus Christ. If you are rejecting Jesus Christ, this is how serious this is. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the day for Sodom than for that city, meaning Sodom and Gomorrah, perhaps one of the most wicked cities that ever existed that got incinerated by fire from heaven. So in other words, it'll be much, you'd rather be in Sodom than in, in a city that rejects Christ. Let me keep going here. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. These are uh, cities in, in northern Israel, Galilee. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, these are Gentile, pagan lands... Uh, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Meaning, if you had the privilege, if they had the privilege of seeing these miracles here in the preaching, they would have repented. And there you are being stiff-necked and just looking back at us like, as if nothing matters. Look what he says. Verse 14. But I will, but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the, in the judgment than for you. Meaning there's a accountability here, guys. The more truth that we've been exposed to, more revelation we've been exposed to, the heart of the judgment if you reject Christ. And you, Capernaum, that's northern Israel, Galilean Galilee city, will not be exalted to heaven. You think you're going to heaven, Capernaum? You'll be brought down to Hades. You're going to hell. You're going to death. And this is the seriousness of heaven's perspective about people who reject christ but here's a word of encouragement for the disciples and for us verse 16 of luke 10 the one who listens to you listens to me meaning if they accept what you say they're really accepting me here's the encouragement as well and the one who rejects you rejects me They're not rejecting you, disciple. They're not rejecting you, brother or sister. They're rejecting Christ. And who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And if you reject Christ, you reject God Himself. And just a word of application as we go to our conclusion is this it's supposed to be hard. Evangelism is supposed to be hard. Jesus says, "Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are on that road. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many go through that gate. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, and few go through that path." So the Lord is trying to give perspective to the disciples. There's most of them are going to reject you. This is how this works. Many are called, few are saved. This is what the Lord says. And this is not to be necessarily taken personally because they're really rejecting Christ. They're not rejecting you. This is All this was designed was to make sure that the disciples had a heavenly perspective, getting their eyes off of the earth and getting their eyes into heaven. And look what they did. Verse 12 and 13 gives us a summary of how they did in conclusion. How did it go for the 12? Well, let's take a look. I'm back to Mark 6. They, the twelve, went out and preached that men should repent. Praise God. They are faithful to execute the, the play. Verse 13. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Praise God. They are showing compassion and ministering to the people. Now, the key right here is this the apostles have been faithful. Church fathers have been faithful. Two thousand years later, Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley exists. The baton has been been passed year after year, generation after generation to where we're at right now. And so they've been found faithful. And, and look what happens in Mark chapter six, verse 30. The apostles gather together with Jesus. This is after their mission, their first mission is done, and they have a debriefing session. Alright, right, they get together and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. There will be a day of accountability with the Lord. The disciples knew this and we should know this too. We will be held accountable to how faithful we've been to minister the gospel as wherever God has sent us to go. So this is a sobering day of reckoning that's coming And in the end, do we not want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful slave. Because the Lord says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. But he goes, I don't know you. But the Lord makes it very clear that he will judge every act, every thought, every opportunity that was afforded. Were we faithful in ministering the gospel? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to talk about your great huddle with the 12. Lord, I thank you for how gracious you are to us and how you love us so much. Lord, it was more than about getting a task done. Lord, you're training and equipping and encouraging the disciples. We thank you for this. So Father, I pray uh, that you will prepare our hearts for communion Prepare our hearts to come to the table with right hearts, Lord. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is the Communion Sunday. We have the Lord's table set up. And for this is for those who are in the family of God, meaning you're a Christian, meaning you are a disciple, you're a follower of Christ, meaning you have repented of your sins. And trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, meaning that you are have given your life to Him. That He is the Lord of your life. And if you are in that in in, our, in the family of God, we welcome you. Please come, even if you're not part of Evergreen Church. Please come. But before you come, the Lord in 1 Corinthians eleven says to take communion in a worthy manner. 1 Corinthians 11. Let me just take time to read it for us. Verse 27 says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood, the body, and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Meaning you need to examine yourself. Is there any... A, are you a Christian? B, as a follower of Christ, are you harboring any sin? Is there some kind of sin that you need to repent of before, to the Lord before coming to the Lord's table in a worthy manner? Let me keep reading, verse twenty-nine. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are asleep, are weak and sick, and number asleep. What what Paul is saying here is this. You could, be, you could face judgment if you don't take communion in a worthy manner. Meaning, in, in the days of Corinth, people have gotten sick. People are even dying because they're taking communion in an unworthy manner. They're disrespecting the communion table. They're coming to the communion table in a flippant manner, in an indifferent manner. This is a special time before the Lord and with one another. So, if you are in Christ... Please come. Parents, just a word of encouragement. If you're not sure about your children, have them wait. Have them wait. Communion and taking communion has no bearing upon your salvation. All right, this is an opportunity for us to come together, affirm to the Lord and to one another that we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So to help us come to the table in a worthy manner, I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of confession. I want to pray for some general corporate things. And there's going to be some time of silence for us to pray to God right now. Okay? So let's just pray, and I'll lead us in a time of corporate confession. Father, thank you for the opportunity to observe the ordinance of communion. We know this is a means of grace where we grow in our faith and we're encouraged. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we could remember your death in your resurrection, particularly at the Lord's table. But Lord, we want to take communion in a worthy manner. So Father God, I pray, Father, for forgiveness, for lacking compassion for the lost. We may get upset about unrighteousness. We may say it's wrong. We may be upset about where the culture is going. But Lord... Forgive us for not praying for hearts to repent to you, Lord, for having compassion for those who are lost. Father, I pray for forgiveness for being ashamed of the gospel. When we've had opportunities to talk about your son, we didn't. When we have opportunities to talk about the exclusive nature of Christ and his salvation, we haven't. Forgive us for being ashamed of the gospel. Forgive us for not sharing the gospel when you've opened up a wide open opportunity to preach about your son or talk about your son and the hope that lies clearly in your son. Father, forgive us as we've been too consumed with this world, with worldly things. Although they may not be bad things, they're of the world still, Lord. Forgive us as we haven't trusted you the way we should have. Forgive us as we've been holding on too tightly to things that are near and dear to us. Father, forgive us for not cherishing our salvation as much as we should. Forgive us as we open up prayer. We don't take time to even thank you for sending your one and only son. Forgive us for this. Father, forgive us as we perhaps have harbored unforgiveness towards one another, particularly another brother or sister. Forgive us. Now, church, let's... Do business with God in the quietness of your own heart. Pray about anything that you need to take to the Lord before coming to the Lord's table. Father, prepare our hearts to receive communion now. Help, I pray, Lord, that we will take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. Thank you for the cross. I pray, Lord, that you will unify your church family here at Evergreen Church during this time of communion. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.